Hello everybody, this is uh, Davis here from Ondekio and we have a great guest uh, this morning, uh, Mr. Rob Myers, uh, who I've known for quite some time. And uh, as you all know, we are starting off this podcast series to talk a lot about B2B marketing. So welcome, Rob. Thanks Thank for joining you. us and I'm giving to be us here. your time. Thank you so I'm much. It's a pleasure. <laughs> to have you on this podcast series and you're the first guest for us uh, and very and that's, exciting that's awesome great so what we'll do is uh you know i'm going to just hand over the stage to you rob uh now and uh, if you could just take us through your career a little bit and talk us through what you've done so far it will give the audience a context in terms of you know where you come from and then we can uh take it from there gotcha it's all yours that Thank you, Davis, and I'm honored to be here, uh, an inaugural podcast that's very, very special, and, and I'm, I'm grateful. Thank you. So my name is Rob Myers. Uh, I am a 25-year-plus veteran of the IT space. I got my start uh, working for an IBM reseller many, many years ago selling RS6000s and CA Unicenter to folks in the Chicagoland area. And then I was hired by IBM, worked at IBM for 16 years, give or take, in multiple verticals. I worked initially at a telco and then retail and then financial services. And in between there, I took a little break from IBM and I worked for an insurance company as a project manager. Then I was recruited by Wipro and worked uh, with Wipro in the pharma space. Had also worked at IBM in the pharma space. Then I was recruited by CompuCom, working in insurance and manufacturing. And then I started my own company. Uh, called Service House, where we were selling services, uh, a curated portfolio of services to people in the primarily in the Chicagoland area, but also nationally. And then from there, I was recruited by DXC. So during the course of my career, I've sold, I've project managed, I've done virtually every job you could possibly do in a project office and that's a lot of jobs and i've worked in all these different industries these different companies these different verticals very lucky though in the sense that in the span of time that i've worked in it i've always worked within about 45 minutes of my house so I am one of those very uh, lucky few people who hasn't had to spend a lot of time in an airplane. So well, that's beyond that, yeah, I'm very lucky. <laughs> yep. I, I, can, then, I can assure you that uh, having a job to go to near your house is, uh, is really, you, you are really, really lucky, Rob. Yes. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry to interview. And no, no, no. It's, it's all good. And then, I uh, in my in my spare time, I like to read. I like to ride my bike. I like to fish. I like to spend time with my family. I write. I write uh, fiction, 
and I'm very much interested in theology. I went to uh, graduate school for a year for uh, theological study, got my certificate in theological study, uh, and how theology intersects with all kinds of elements of our, our, our lives and our culture and our politics. So yeah, I, I've had an, an, interesting, an interesting career in a very, very hyper-local way. Uh, thanks rob that's that's a that's quite an elaborate career i would i should say and uh, uh though you know we would like to talk a little bit about your fishing as well at some point but but let's see if we can yes. <laughs> uh talk about that over here but yeah um, uh, so so you know since you've uh, done so much right you know and uh, over over a period of time right and you know especially in the last couple of decades um, we've seen the marketing and the sales process, yeah, has has kind of changed, right, and, or rather transformed. Mm-hmm. Now, here is something that I would like you to kind of talk about, you know, in terms of how you think the entire marketing and sales has transformed over the last couple of decades. Well, it, what is interesting is it's very much. I think aligned to how the technology has changed and where the keepers of the technology are back uh, in the eighties and nineties, the world was still very mainframe centric and there was primarily one mainframe provider and there were mainframe application providers, but they were very small in terms of the, the numbers of providers you could go to. So they could pretty much command whatever they wanted in terms of the products that they sold, right? And you hear, you know, you'd hear these stories, these, you know, the, the, the guys that I grew up with, the folks who mentored me, they would talk about how every year they would go to a large manufacturer. They'd go to a large retail company and they'd say, okay, how many mainframes do you want? And the company would say, oh, give me six. And that would be the salesperson's quota and they'd, they'd done for the year. And effectively, they didn't have to try very hard. And they didn't have to try very hard because they, they had captured the market. And granted, Phenomenal products, amazing products. The mainframe is still a remarkable piece of technology that if you want to have multiple nines of uptime and make sure that things get processed and processed well, the mainframe is the way to go. At the same time, the value proposition began to shift as more technologies became available and pervasive and there was more competition in the market and the default value proposition of oh well of course you'd want to go with this particular technology began to give way they they used to refer to the mainframe as the glass house right and how do you overcome the glass house now that was going on 30 years ago and there's still companies that are pretty much mainframe centric and they have zero inclination to go anywhere else because the the machine just works 
However, there are other avenues by which to get your compute completed. And that, that speaks to just kind of the, the basic economics, right? The more competition you have, the more diversity and competition you have, the greater opportunity for innovation, the greater opportunity you have for disruption. You know, you, you see these ads all the time of these fresh-faced college grads from MIT saying, oh, we're, we're the latest disruptor, right? Well, there's something very potent about that. And you've got these different platforms that are developing that are disrupting these classic industries, these classic verticals. And the folks who are incumbent and who've been there for a while are basically having to contend with what the mainframe providers had to contend with 20 years ago. So in a nutshell, instead of clerking and depending upon your position in the market to compel selling, you have to really develop a value proposition. And that developing of a value proposition is really predicated on good data, right? Having a good understanding of who your clients are, having a good understanding of where clients want to go. And in the wonderful world of marketing, it's one of two things. You're either fulfilling a need that already exists or you're creating that need. And as sales folk are working to sell to those needs or creations of needs, they had better have a good linkage to and conduit of communication with their marketing team. Because otherwise, what's going to happen is you're going to have confusion. You know, there's so many voices and there's so many people wanting clients' attention that the returning of a phone call is a triumph and ghosting is the norm, right? People are distracted and they have billions of people trying to get in front of them with their latest and greatest. And unless you have something that is compelling and and if you unless you have a relationship with your client and a really good value proposition you're in the wilderness and you're one of many voices that effectively become a cacophony and clients don't want to be bothered with ferreting out who to do business with They want to do business with the folks that make it easy to do business with them, where they get the most value. And how many times have we heard during the course of our selling together, the customer saying to us, well, you know me better than I know me, so tell me what I need. Tell me what I want. So this notion of a reactive sale, even in the the form of requirements gathering, is effectively been turned on its head because clients don't have the time nor the inclination. And this is a bit of a test too. This is a test around how much you care as a seller. Customers 
smell that. They smell your level of commitment. It's visceral. They know your level of care. And it also comes down to whether or not you want a customer or a client. I think the, the distinguishing factor between one and the other is a customer is transactional. A client is relational. And a client is someone that is going to look to you to provide value outside of the product or service that you're selling. It's much more than simply fulfilling a need. So as you take a look at marketing, what marketing has been effective over these many years? And I hearken back to probably the the most referred to marketing campaign ever. And it really points to an inflection point between the the mainframe and the world of possibility, using that as a metaphor. And that was Apple's 1984 campaign, right? It was this notion that you as a person don't want to be held captive to this amorphous looming presence that is in control of how you work and what you do, right? Everybody identifies with the runner with the hammer. Nobody identifies with the folks in the audience or big brother. You want to be the person who is bravely stopping this entity from controlling you. And it's very visceral. It's very emotional. It speaks to a desire for human freedom. I know I'm, I'm escalating this and I'm elevating this, but that's effectively what it did. And it's interesting that that campaign happened in 1984 or around in, in the 80s, right? Just as the technology was shifting and just as the paradigm was shifting, right? And it's still the same thing today. Emotional appeals are very effective. And I would argue much more effective than just simply saying to a client, okay, here's the data and therefore buy my stuff. That doesn't work. First of all, as soon as you present a client with data you're asking them to do a lot of work, right? You're asking them to translate and manufacture information out of that data. That was always a challenge for us in operations. We'd present a wonderful slides, detailed slides with all kinds of data, right? And the client, their eyes would cross and people would literally fall asleep on the call. Why? Because the data didn't matter. What mattered was whether or not folks felt that they were being cared for, whether or not people felt that you were part of their team and working on their behalf. It's as simple as that. And if we want to succeed in this market, we've got 
to really take a good, long, hard look at how we're communicating with our audience, with our constituents, with our clients, right? And is that communication compelling? Does it move to action? Is there a more visceral connection between what you're saying and where the client's head is at and heart is at? See, that's something that is very difficult, particularly for IT folks. Because a lot of IT people go into IT because it's about math. It's about data. It's about being able to see a one or a zero. It's black or white. It is right or it's wrong. And people don't live in a binary. People live in shades of gray. And you can have the best solution for a client's need. And if they don't like you and they don't believe that you're acting in their best interests, guess what? They're not going to buy from you. Or if they do buy from you, it's going to be transactional. And at the same time they're buying from you, they're doing their damnedest to find someone else to buy from who they will like, who they want to spend time with, who they believe is working for their best interest. That's as simple. It, it, I say it's as simple as that, but it's in, in execution, it's not simple. Because I think in many respects, we're taught that the, the logical course will always win. Well, look at our politics. That's not always the case. You know, look at our own relationships and in our, in our own buying behaviors. Are you going to buy something from someone you like, or are you going to buy something from someone you don't like? More often than not, it's someone you like. And it's funny how these, particularly these very large organizations in their marketing and in their communicating, really look to the client to put in a lot of effort. And as soon as you take that tact, you're going to fail because the client doesn't have the time nor the inclination, especially when there's someone around the corner who's handing it all to them without a lot of effort and making it easy for them to do business. How's that? How's that for a very long answer no, I, to a very short question? Absolutely. Uh, I, think, I think that's a good, uh, you know, overview, should I say, you know, in terms of uh, how this whole changed across decades, right? So, mm-hmm. um, obviously, there's, you know, things, there's a lot of new things now, and you you come with this experience where you can talk about things which happened in 1984, which is great. And uh, that's 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 um, a lot of great information for our, you know, audience, especially the younger audience, right, in terms of how, you know, if they can learn something from that experience of yours. Uh, but I, I do have a follow-up question, uh, you know, to that, uh, which is just to join the dots a little bit and talk about, if you can talk about how that's happening now, you know, uh, you, we both have worked, uh, you know, together, Rob, and, mm-hmm. you know, we have worked along with, you know, customers. What do you think is the best way to talk about our products and services, communicate to our 
customers about our product and services or market or sell our services to customers as of today. What do you think is the most critical element there? Well, I think there are multiple elements, right? But they all have the same golden thread of a theme. And that is providing a level of care, right? Providing that measure of value, understanding where your clients are and where they want to be. And what do I mean by that? If you are selling a widget and you are one of millions of people selling that widget, what's the differentiator? Well, you can differentiate the product or you can differentiate, excuse me, what that project product means to the people who are ultimately going to buy it. A lot of insurance companies these days model themselves as disruptors. They use lowercase fonts when they name their companies. They have interesting colors, compelling colors. They're not necessarily primary colors. They're they're pastels. They're you know, yellows and greens as opposed to reds and blues and different shades of yellows and greens and reds and blues. Why? Because they're trying to differentiate. They're trying to look new. They're trying to look like a disruptor. And there's something very appealing about the new. There's something very appealing about uh, the youthful. And that keys into a lot of nonverbal communication, a lot of nonverbal cues. You take a look at insurance, for example. Insurance models itself as a new way to get insurance. And insurance uses technology and it uses an app and it has interesting an interesting font that looks a little modern and it has different colors, and it conveys a new approach, a youthful approach, a novel approach. I guess novel and new are the same thing, but novel in the sense that it's unique. And insurance is owned by Allstate. The reason that you've got these folks positioning their products in such a way is because they want to be the runner with the hammer in the 1984 commercial. They want to appeal to the person who is looking for a product that fits their lifestyle and their attitude and their understanding of the world. And all of those things are very emotional. And that's that's the heart of it. We have to get to the heart of it. And if and you, you know the ads that resonate with you and the ads that, that speak to you, yeah. they're very, very rarely the ones with a black background with white letters that say, here, this is our product. 
this is what the product does for you, and this is why you should buy it, and here's a phone number to buy it. Yep. And it it it's it sounds funny, but that's it. For us to be effective marketers and by extension sales folk, what we have to do is we really have to key into that emotional intelligence and the emotional landscape of our clients. You know, the, I, I, there's the, the hackneyed question that the salesperson asks their client, what keeps you up at night, right? Well, that's very real. That's a very real question. And if you have a good answer to that, if you can help your client get a good night's sleep, or you can help your client stop worrying about something that they have been worrying about for months or possibly years, what you've done is you've provided that client real value. And that's it. You know, that you can have the most wonderful product in the world, but unless you can demonstrate real value, people are going to shrug their shoulders and they're going to seek the person, company, marketer, sales folk who can demonstrate that real value. Does that all make yep. sense? Absolutely. And I think, I think um, ultimately it boils down to value. I think value is going to be a common, as you said, is going to be a common thread, which kind of, uh, even in the next 20 decades or whatever, 10 decades or whatever it is, is going to stay the same, right? Unless you provide value, um, you know, it's, we can all talk about sales and marketing and that has to be stitched together with value in it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which solves a very specific custom problem. So that's, that's very and, well and, said. And, Im and emotion. Abs and, and emotion. You know, this, this whole idea and even the most clinical person, even the most logical person, right? When you, when you talk to, when you're talking to someone in the C-suite, when you're talking to someone in a position of authority in a company, those folks to a person have a great deal of emotional intelligence, right? Yep. And they will take a look at a ledger and they will take a look at where their company is going. And in as much as the numbers are important, to a person, and this is something that's very well uh, illustrated in Gerstner's book, Elephants Can Dance, to a person, it's the culture of the company that will often dictate whether or not a company is on a growth trajectory or is stagnant. And yep. that culture is grounded in and very much informed by emotion and connectedness and relationships. And if you don't consider that as you market and you sell, you do so at your own peril. Absolutely. Uh, well said, Rob. I think, I think, you know, these are very critical um, points that you're making here. Um, and, um, Obviously, these these uh, you know for our audience, it's it's going to be um, quite useful to look at some of the pointers that you make and make notes of that and um, 
think about how they can best market or sell their services as of today. So, so that's that's great. Um, now, now given that all the knowledge that you have and um, having worked across multiple uh, profiles or industries, or you know, um, what do you think? What what is a one sp- specific space that you go to or a publication where you kind of update yourself? Uh, or read about things so that you can keep yourself updated. Is is there a specific space that you go to? Uh, this might help all of us to understand where you pick up all your knowledge from. So a lot of my knowledge is from people like you who are kind enough to spend time with me and answer my questions and listen to me prattle on and bounce ideas and work through ideas. I will admit unashamedly that I'll go to search engines, right? And I'll type in keywords and I'll see what the, what the search engine is showing me because the search engine is not only getting me to a particular document, but one layer down, what a search engine does is it shows you what is most popular, right? And if you're typing in these terms, other people are typing in these terms and also gives you some insight as to, okay, isn't this odd that this is popular? Okay. Why is, why is there search engine optimization going on for this particular term? Right. I think it all starts with a question and the question is why I will look at multiple news feeds. I will look at, industry publications. I will listen to podcasts. I will use LinkedIn a great deal. I think LinkedIn is a tremendous resource when it comes to getting access to information and also people who have different insights and diverse perspectives. It's this diversity that is tremendous and tremendously useful this notion that diversity is a strength is very real. We've got a wonderful mosaic of humanity, all of whom are coming with different perspectives and different understandings and different ways of working and different ways of understanding. So, you know, really, <clears throat> excuse me, really taking an opportunity to find a quiet space and read is, I think, absolutely critical. Now, do I read a lot of management books? No, because I'll be honest here as well. I, I know everything else I've said has been a lie, but I'll be blunt. Let me, that's a, a better way of putting it. I think a lot of management books are thrown together. And they're thrown together with a thought to coming up with a cute and compelling story that will resonate with ease. What do I mean by that? You know, who moved my cheese and fish and all these other things. You know, they they do have something to say. At the same time, you've got to... 
you, you, you have to kind of look at them with a jaundiced eye, right? Yeah, I, I, I've read, I read a book or a part of a book, turn, turn the ship around, right? And the heart of the book there was communicate with your people, get everybody on your team, and demonstrate to them that you are in it with them, right? In as much as they're part of your team, you're part of theirs. That's okay. That's great. One would hope that the the message in that book is something that is pervasive, right? And if you get a bit of insight from that book, fantastic. I what what I really like to do is see what's going on in the world and seek out information that will enhance my understanding of what is going on in the world and what's going on in business. And also another critically important thing is challenging my perspective and perception, right? If you simply read everything that you agree with, for example, I I, I went in and said, I'm not a big fan of management books. At the same time, I better read a couple, right? I better read them and see what they have to say. And if they resonate with me, super. And if there are things that I already know, okay, cool. I validated it. Has it wasted my time? No, I don't think so. I think, I think any opportunity you have to get a perspective or a new perspective or a challenging perspective is time well spent. So, okay, long answer, a short question. Where do I go? I Google, I read, I use LinkedIn. There. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's probably what I should have started off with. Bing, yeah, bing, absolutely. bing. Uh, no, absolutely. And I think everybody has their own place that they go to and it's uh, it's great to know and uh, you know the the mediums that you have uh, spoken about are very relevant and you can find newer stuff right over there uh, as well so that you stay relevant okay so here's a question i know the thought process is people want to listen to me but i don't necessarily want to listen to me what do you do where do you go um i think uh, you know Majorly, you know, what we do is, what at least I do is, uh, you know, uh, I look at uh, the topic that I want to understand, right? So um, Google is one medium. Obviously, I try to read a lot around that specific topic. And if somebody, if there's an author who's kind of uh, spoken about that more, um, I would buy a book on Amazon specific to that topic. Um, I'm more of, you know, I, I like to read through the topic a bit to understand. So there are, you know, I have nuggets like, you know, what I'm now reading more about is uh, the future of work, right? So a lot of interesting articles are available and blogs are available on the internet. Um, obviously, there's a lot of books available too. Um, a lot of these blogs keep, are, are what I would say is more, a recent, right? So you can sort out articles which have been uh, written lately, uh, very recently. So, so I like to read through some of these white papers or something that I like. 
to kind of uh, read through quickly. Uh, not not the the big three hundred page ones, but <laughs> mostly yeah. the, uh, the the ten pagers or less than ten pager white papers. So that's that's what I do, uh, Rob. Mm. And see, and right there, that speaks to what we were talking about in the beginning of the podcast, right? If someone's putting out a three hundred page white paper they're really looking for their audience to invest a great deal of time in reading yeah. that paper, digesting that paper, understanding that paper. And I think what we have to do as sales folks and marketers is think in terms of a haiku, right? A haiku is a poem form that is very strict in its requirement. And in that restriction, there's a lot of creativity. And I, I find that the editing process, particularly when I'm doing a, a presentation or a proposal, is tremendously useful in getting to the heart of a message. And I, I, I love the fact that what you're doing is thinking on a topic, a topic crosses your mind and you say to yourself, you know, I'm going to pursue this topic, not only because I think it has value from a business perspective, but it has a value in and of itself, right? There is, I think what we are losing in this modern age is the notion of a, a renaissance person, right? Having, you know, there, there's something to be said for specialization. At the same time, having the capacity and the desire for knowledge in and of itself has value. You know, my, my son is going off to college, right? And as we've looked at different colleges for my son, what really came to the forefront was what these different colleges and these different college environments stressed, either overtly or subconsciously. And one college was very much business-oriented. Another college was very much science-oriented. Another college was very vocationally-oriented. And then the, the, the college that he's ending up going to is very much a liberal arts school. So you have these different colleges with different things that they're emphasizing. And ultimately, where I think my son is going to hopefully thrive is a place where you're afforded a very broad banquet of experiences and classes and information, right? And that's why I think a liberal arts education is really useful because the desire here is to educate the person, right? On multiple fronts with multiple fields and disciplines and understandings. Here we go again, diversity. And in that diversity, we have where people live and hopefully where people 
thrive. And as a marketer, as a salesperson, and as just a human being, if we can really enjoy knowledge for knowledge's sake, you know, as you were saying, going out and having a topic enter into your consciousness and your awareness, and then pursuing that to learn more and to personally enhance yourself and grow, that is phenomenal, right? And excuse me, I I know there are only so many hours in the day and the world currently is rewarding specialization. At the same time, what I would recommend to our audience is take an opportunity to seek something that isn't necessarily within your specialization, right? Get outside. Here we go again. And it's, it's hackneyed. And here I am talking about these management books that, are, that seem to be providing common sense that stuff that we should already know. I'm going to provide the same sort of thing. Um, get outside your comfort zone, right? Learn something new. Learn something that uh, you wouldn't otherwise have exposure to. I was very grateful and lucky to have you introduce me to elements of culture and religion and history, whether you knew it or not. During the course of our conversing and us working together, I learned a great deal from you. And I appreciated that generosity of spirit and that willingness of you to answer questions. And my questions were oftentimes stupid. <laughs> I know there are no stupid questions, but some of my questions were stupid. But Not that, that generosity all, and that, that, that willingness to help me expand my point of view and my understanding of the world, I'm for that I'm forever grateful. So thank you. Like, likewise, Rob, uh, and, and obviously, uh, you know, we, we all learn and uh, we continue to communicate and uh, it's, it's, you know, some of the inputs that you've provided, uh, or rather I should say nuggets that you've provided for our audience would be uh, really useful. Um, you know, uh, just to uh, get to the end of the session, um, you know, and if, if the audience or any one of us would like to um, find you online, what is the best possible way to get you get to you right and, and talk to you or converse with you? Uh, if you could uh, talk about that a little bit. Absolutely. So probably LinkedIn. That's the, the best way for us to interact. I, I'm very appreciative of the platform. I like the platform. I like the interface. I like the fact that it affords you a measure of personal security. Right. And I also, and I, I just, I find it to be a very useful tool in my toolkit. And that's, you know, as I was going to the podcast, that's one other thing that I really want to impart to folks here. Develop a toolkit, develop a, a series of actions and attitudes and activities and processes for you that will help you in your working life. One of the questions I always ask folks when I interview them is what's in your toolkit? 
And oftentimes they'll look at me like I'm goofy. And granted, yes, I am goofy. But they'll say, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell them, these are the things that are your go-tos in the course of your working day that afford you the ability to get through that day, to be effective, to get things done, and get things done well. So what's in your toolkit? And that's a question that I'd pose to the audience here. What's in your toolkit? Take, take a, a look and maybe even list it, write it down and say, here, these are the things that I do every day that help me work. This is my process. You know, artists will say, you know, this is my process. Well, write down what your process is and really take a good look at what your process is and see where your strengths are and see where you may be deficient. And, and, you know, as we're talking about topics of personal growth and business growth, take a look at your deficiencies and see them in the light of day and say, okay, this is what I'm going to concentrate on. This is what I'm going to focus on, right? I'm really good at X. Maybe I'm not so good at Y. Focus on Y, right? Uh, I, I don't have this in my toolkit, but I want to add it to my toolkit. Well, take the initiative to add things to your toolkit, right? And I think if you can if you can take that kind of process approach, you will have the ability to provide yourself yourself more value. Ultimately, you'll be more valuable to your firm and to your clients. It's it's a it's a definite uh, win win win, right? Absolutely. So, if, if, if you, if you want to get in touch with me, and I'd be delighted if you would, it, it, LinkedIn is probably the best way. And I'm Rob Myers, M-Y-E-R-S. That's a great way to find me. Perfect. Rob, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, my uh, pleasure. I'm sure, I, like I said, I'm honored. I'm sure that the audience enjoyed hearing you. There were so many great things that you spoke about. Um, I surely enjoyed the session. Um for our audience, uh, Rob is always active on uh, LinkedIn. So if you want to have a chat with him, connect with him, and uh, you are ready to go. So thank you so much again. Have a great rest of the day. Take care, and we'll talk soon. My best to you and your family. Thanks again, Davis. This has been tremendous. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye.